Guys, I've been really looking for a reason to wear my Kirk jersey on a Wednesday. Before this season gets way too out of hand, figured I'd do that. Hey guys, I'm Jacob. It is Kirktober. I'm Jacob. I have the awesome pleasure of working here as a high school director. If we haven't met, I'd love to meet you. And uh, the reason why I got all this stuff up here uh, for the Minnesota Vikings is because... False. Because... Over the weekend, I got really excited. I was like, man, this is, this is finally going to be that time where we beat a good team, the Super Bowl team at that. I was like, I get to come on Wednesday night and boast about this epic win. I get to talk about how much I love the Vikings. Guys, I legitimately believed that we were going to win, that we were going to silence all the Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey nonsense. You know what I'm talking about? We were going to prove the haters wrong. That's not really how it went. But despite all the heartbreak, despite the turnovers, my love for the Vikings is just as strong. And, and here's the thing. My love for the Vikings has actually, like, been pretty obvious for most of my life. It's one of those things where it can, like, borderline become an idol if I'm not careful. Like, I need to take a step back every now and then and be like, how much weight does this carry in my life? Like, why do I feel like my week's ruined when they lose? That type of thing. Actually, it's kind of embarrassing because before I met Jesus, my identity was, like, kind of in the Vikings. Or it was at least part of my identity. I remember as a freshman, uh, my entire wardrobe rotated around, like, which piece of apparel I was going to wear that, that day. A jersey, shirt, hoodie, whatever it was. I used to create Vikings highlight videos on YouTube. That was super fun. I brought this, this helmet here. For just some show and tell to let you know that, that this was actually the number one item on my Christmas list one year. Like literally a helmet that sits on a shelf, collects signatures, um, also that I could have like a piece of my team with me. It's pretty cool, but kind of ridiculous. My passion for the Vikings also goes deep in the sense that I actually am passionate about how much I dislike rival teams. This is, this is my thing on Sundays. I cheer for the Vikings and whoever is playing the Packers. Like, like my favorite team is the Minnesota Vikings and whoever plays the Green Bay Packers. I will cheer for their downfall just as much as I cheer for the Vikings' downfall. Sorry. Holy smokes. Thank you for catching that. I just committed heresy. All right. We'll just start over. Just kidding. Um, Y'all. The one thing that was for sure true, I remember, like, early high school, I was like, there's no way I'm ever marrying a Packer fan. And God is good, because I do not have to do that. Let's go. Amen. Y'all, what, what does this all have to do with it tonight? Some of you guys are like, dude, I don't give a crap about football. What do you, stop. Get, stop talking about football from the stage. It's annoying. Some of these girls in the front row right here are thinking that exact same thing. Y'all, I lived and breathed Vikings football for a lot of my life. And here's what, here's what this has to do with tonight. Here's what this has to do with tonight. What we think about the most tells us what we're passionate about the most. I'm passionate about this team, and so they take up a lot of space in my mind. I rep them proudly, especially Kirk Cousins, because he's my quarterback. And I talk often about the Vikings with other people. I've annoyed friends in high school with how much I used to talk about the Vikings. And I love this team, so therefore I'm zealous 
And I take personally the defeat of the enemy rival. And if you're not a Vikings fan, if you're not even a football fan, what's true of all of us is that what we think about most shows us what we are passionate about the most. And friends, this is why I think you need this message tonight. Your passions are misplaced. My passions are misplaced. I'm, I'm, I'm also passionate about myself. I, I want to look good, feel good, be liked, be admired, be the best. And so I think a lot about myself. I, I, I'm passionate about other people's opinions because I want to feel approved of. And so I think constantly about how I can impress. And I'm, I'm passionate about sugar. Amen? Yo, I, I, I have a sweet tooth. And so I'm thinking about, should I have this thing? Should I not? Where am I going to go get dessert tonight? Like, that's a real thing. And in the end, all of these things, all of these things, ridiculous or not, especially the Vikings, disappoint. They, they, don't, they don't ultimately satisfy. Maybe you relate to some of those things, some of those thoughts, patterns, passions, Maybe, maybe you're one of those mysterious people who's like, I'm not passionate about anything. I'm passionate about not being passionate. Stop it. Wherever you're at, something consumes your mind. And, and what consumes your mind is, is telling us what you're passionate about. And friends, our passions are misplaced. The Bible tells us that the God who created us has also put eternity in our hearts. It's, a, it's Ecclesiastes 3.11. The God who created us has also put eternity in our hearts. We were created to think about and long for eternity. We were, we were designed with a God-sized hole that only he can fill. And, and all these lesser things, they cannot, they will not satisfy us. Friends, in other words... Ecclesiastes 3.11 tells us that we were created to think about God. The cool thing is tonight, friends, that God thinks about us. God thinks about you. And just like us with our thoughts, God's thoughts reveal his passions. God's thoughts reveal his passions. We're going to wrap up this, this four-week series called Known, where we've walked through what is, what is called King David's most excellent of the Psalms. It's Psalm 139. You can flip there right now. It's like in the middle of your Bible, almost, almost perfectly. And we talked about, you know, week one, how we don't have to be afraid to be known. Because being both fully known and fully loved can be possible in a relationship with God. Two weeks ago... Jake talked about how even when we try to hide, when we're ashamed, when we run, when we doubt, God holds on to us and he never leaves us. And then last week, Danny got up and talked about how our identity, who we are, is deeply connected with how God made us and, and his purpose for us. And friends, tonight, I just hope that you would come away from this series as a whole Knowing that your identity, who you are, is truly found and is completely secure 
in being known and loved by God. So we're going to head into the next section of Psalm 139, and we're going to focus in on, on 17 and 18. Now, I did send your leaders some content to discuss 19 through 24 later tonight or whenever, because um, that stuff's rich. I wish we had a couple more weeks to get through it, but we don't. So we're going to focus in on 17 and 18. Go ahead. Uh, if you're there, great. If you're not, go there. If you don't have a Bible, follow along on the screen because it'll be there too. And so David continues praying. This is what Psalm, 30, Psalm 139 is. It's a prayer. So David prays this. He says, God... How precious your thoughts are to me. How vast is their sum. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up, I am still with you. God, how precious your thoughts are to me. How vast is their sum. Guys, David is praying here and he's actively thinking about the fact that God thinks about him. Thinking about how God thinks about him. And like I said a few moments ago, guys, I'm going to say the word thought like 50 million times tonight, so get it in your head. Like I said earlier, God's thoughts reveal his passions. God's thoughts reveal his passions. And so the heartbeat, the heartbeat of tonight, the big idea, the one thing to take away is that God is passionately concerned with you. He's passionate about you because we see that he thinks about you. And that's significant. That's significant because the God who, like, thought up the idea of, of the stars and, and the galaxies and the oxygen that we breathe and the oceans, like, all of these things, the God that thought all of that up and then speaked it into existence thinks about you. And he thinks about you a lot. That, that matters, that, that should impact how you live, and that should sink into your identity. And here's why. My first point is that God's thoughts outweigh all others. God's thoughts outweigh all others. So in that first half of verse 17 into 18, there's a few things at play. First, the word that David uses to describe God's thoughts, the word precious, it means weighty. It means heavy. God's thoughts are precious, like precious metals, like gold. They're beautiful. They're heavy. They're significant. They're not cheap. They're valuable. And they're for you. Guys, I want you to picture like a balanced scale. Maybe something you might use in science class or, or at a grocery store or something like that. And, and on that scale, David is weighing God's thoughts toward him. And, and as he does this, David finds that God's thoughts weigh down the scales completely. I want you to picture this for yourself. Picture a balanced scale, and on one side is all of your thoughts. Your thoughts about yourself, about football, about friends, about sugar, about what, I don't know, whatever, these are, I'm just talking to myself here. Whatever your thoughts are, that's over here. And on the other side of the scale is God's thoughts. Thoughts. And, and I want you to ask this question as you think about that. Which of your thoughts do God, does God's thoughts weigh down? Which of your thoughts does God's thoughts weigh down? Maybe, maybe you have thoughts about anxiety. And so you're, you're thinking about the things that you're anxious about. 
And God's thoughts of protection for you, they're precious. They outweigh your anxiety. Maybe you have nervous thoughts about the future. God has precious thoughts about the future for you that outweigh your hesitations and your fears. Maybe, maybe you have thoughts about your worth or your identity or whether you're weird or something like that. Like, God's thoughts about you as your creator far outweigh your doubts and your insecurities. And these are not like just great, big, amazing thoughts up there in the heavens far away. Guys, these are thoughts that are personal and real for you. And that's what David is saying as he prays this. They tip your scale in God's direction. That's why they're precious. That's why they outweigh all others. And then secondly, I want to I point out in this first verse that we get a sense from David that God's thoughts are, are difficult to comprehend. Another translation literally reads, God, how difficult your thoughts are for me to comprehend. The fact that this creator God fully knows us, never leaves us, has created every part of us, and thinks so often and even so well of us, is too wonderful to understand. As David prays, it sounds like he's caught up in, in the wonder of God's passion for him. Because, because just like us, what God thinks about reveals his passions. And I would ask you the question, is it hard to comprehend God's love for you? In one sense, it should be. But, but when it becomes difficult to understand, does that leave you in a place of doubt? Or does that difficulty lead you to wonder and worship? That's my question for you. Many of you guys have heard this quote before. I'm going to toss it up on the screen. It's, it's A.W. Tozer, super popular quote. I love it. Um, and and this, this quote, it says this. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I think generally that's pretty much the case. Like that's, that's a generally true statement. It's important what we think about God. And yes, it does mean a heck of a lot about who we are. But I know. For me, there are seasons where what I think about God is not true. Whether it's doubt, sin, distractions, getting in the way. And so I feel like there must be something more to that. There's another theologian. His name is C.S. Lewis. You have probably heard about him. He's a famous author as well. He said something that I believe gives us a more complete understanding of what that's saying. Of, of what's generally true about that, that quote. He says this. He says, I read the other day that the fundamental thing is how we think of God. By God himself, it is not. How we think, sorry, how God thinks of us is not only more important, but infinitely more important. Indeed, how, how we think of him is no importance except insofar as it is related to how he thinks of us. So y'all, C.S. Lewis is, is letting us know that A.W. Tozer's quote is true and significant as long as we first get right with the fact that God thinks about us. 
that God's thoughts outweigh all others and that his thoughts are supremely important for understanding who we are and, and who he is. And so I'd encourage you tonight, as you get into small groups, start thinking about how God thinks about you. David prays about this, so take his prayer and, and pray through it yourself. And, and, and ask God, like, what do you think about me? What are your thoughts for me like? Use this as a jumping off pad. I think it'll be sweet. And I know that as we do that, as we, as we seek God, we experience that passion that he has for us and his love. So not only, not only does David contemplate the weight of God's thoughts, but he also speaks to the amount that God thinks of him. And so with that, my second point tonight is that God's thoughts outnumber all others. God's thoughts outnumber all others. God, how precious your thoughts are to me. How vast is their sum. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. God's thoughts outnumber all others. We see at the end of verse 17 into 18 that if we added up every single grain of sand and every single one of God's thoughts, the grains of sand wouldn't even compare. God's thoughts outnumber even that. Let's get nerdy for a minute. Science tells us that there are approximately seven, sorry, whoa, I jumped the gun. Y'all are going to have to get ready for that in a second. First, there's approximately 500 million and a billion grains of sand, somewhere in between those two, in one cubic foot of beach. If you don't know what that means, it's like if you put a box around this, that's about a cubic foot of beach. In that one cubic foot, there's 500 million to a billion grains of sand. Here's the crazy number. And I have it on the screen. If that's one cubic foot, our earth contains seven quintillion, 500 quadrillion grains of sand. That is a fat number. Let's try to get our head wrapped around it. Let's start with, let's start with one quintillion. One quintillion. That's one with 18 zeros. I got that up there as well. One with 18 zeros, somewhere in there. There it is. Y'all, one quintillion. I did some research. What is one quintillion? What does that look like? How, how can we understand that number? There was a question. How many words does humanity speak every day? Humanity. How many words do we speak every day? Studies show us Men speak about 7,000 words a day on average. Women speak 20,000. That's about, that's about 13,500 words on average per person. And so we take that number. We take that number. We multiply that by, at least when this study came out, about 7.1 billion, which is the population of the earth. I think it's closer to eight now. You take that and you get 96 trillion words every day spoken by humanity. 96 trillion words every day spoken by all of humanity in the earth. What does this mean for one quintillion? 
it would take us 28 years and seven months to get to the day when every single human being, starting today, has uttered one quintillion words. 28, 28 years, dude, for seven billion people combined to utter that number of words. Let's go further. That wasn't cool enough? All right. Let's look at 7.5 quintillion. If you were to count 7.5 quintillion grains of sand, if you could somehow get them all into the right container, I'll give, you two, I'll give you two grains of sand per second every single day, nonstop, night and day. It would take us 120 billion years to count those grains of sand. That's incomprehensible. And if we could throw the, the passage back up on the screen, I want you to see that that kind of incomprehensible that all of you are like, dude, I don't even know what you're saying anymore. That is why God and his thoughts are precious and vast, according to David. God, how precious your thoughts are to me. How vast is their sum? Because if you add up all those grains of sand and you count for that many years and you do all the other things, it wouldn't be enough. It wouldn't be enough. You ever thought about how many thoughts you have? On the high end, it's about 70,000 a day. About 80% of those thoughts are negative. About 95% of them are repetitive thoughts from yesterday. I think that's why I'm a Vikings fan. Because negativity and losing and doing that over and over again is how you get that. But anyways, okay, out of your 70,000 thoughts, maybe, maybe some of them are like this. Maybe some of them are, you know, school's overwhelming right now. Feel it. What's happening on social media? What, what did they think about me? How can I look cooler at school? Am I weird? What if it doesn't work out? Friends, hear this. God's thoughts for you outnumber all others. And so for every one of those thoughts and every one of your 70,000 thoughts, God has infinitely more for you. That matters. That matters. David ends in verse 18. Those thoughts, they show us God's passion. And we see he says, when I wake up, in verse 18, when I wake up, I am still with you. God, when I wake up, I'm still with you. Old Testament professor, his name is Willem Van Gmeren. He writes this about David's words. He says, the thoughts about the greatness of God's love are like a dream. But unlike a dream, God's love is real. When the, when the psalmist awakes, he knows that he can still enjoy God's presence. And so as precious and weighty and incomprehensible and vast, the thoughts of God are for you. We know it's not a dream. We know it's reality. We don't have to pinch ourselves. It's true. God thinks about you like this. When we come to the end of ourselves, when we feel like life is a nightmare, we can wake up and know that this is real. God thinks about us and that reveals his passion for us. My last thought tonight is that 
you know, it's just a reminder that God is disproportionately more passionate about you than all others. God is disproportionately passionate about you. We know that passion, that disproportionate passion, has been proven on the cross. Of all of the infinite thoughts that God has for you next high school, there was one thought that's most important. Friends, that was the thought that he had about you as he died on the cross. Let that sink in next high school. The most significant thought that God has for you is the thought that he had for you as he died on the cross. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, passionately gave up his life and died to save you. And then he rose again so that your identity as child of God, image bearer of God, and friend of God could be restored. That's the heart of God. And that's the good news. See, the person of Jesus is the greatest thought we could ever have. Greater than, than the Vikings, greater than sugar, greater than opinions. Jesus Christ is the greatest thought that we could ever have. Greater than thoughts I have for myself. Those leave me empty. He never leaves me empty. He's what we ought to be passionate about. And the good news is, is he is far more passionate about you than, than, he, than you ever will be for him. That's sweet. Praise God. Because if his passion for me depended on my passion for him, it wouldn't be so good. But praise God, that's not how it is. And so the question is, what do we do from here? So what? So what to this series? You'll remember um, I shared how my passion for the Vikings, it goes simply beyond just cheering for the team from the sideline. My passion, my passion has caused me to be zealous. Like I, I want what this team wants. I'll go down with them. I don't hold back. I ride through the ups and downs. I, I want to see the enemy, the Packers, fall. Shout out to Nick, my life group guy. You're a uh, Packer fan, so you're pretty cool. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Y'all, I want to follow this team. I want to represent this team. I'm zealous. And in many ways, that's what we see David do as he closes his prayer. Verse 19 through 24, I, I can't go through all of it. I wish I had two more weeks. Your leaders, I, I sent them content to talk through it more if you'd like. But let me just say this about it. Verse 21 says, Lord, don't I hate those who hate you and, and detest those who rebel against you. That's what I mean when I say I hate the Packers. I just hate what God hates. Shaking his head. Shaking his head. Y'all, I'm kidding. But that's what David says on a real note. On a real note, David says this. He says, I hate those who hate you, God. Detest those who rebel against you. This is a prayer. God, don't I? And it feels so out of place. It feels so out of place, that whole chunk in this, this Psalm 139. 
It even maybe seems to contradict what Jesus says to love and to pray for our enemies. Jesus forgave his enemies as he was nailed to a cross. So, So what's going on here? His passion and his love for God that we've seen, experienced through the first 16, 18 verses. It makes David zealous. He, his, his passion has been ignited as he reflects on God's love for him, and it makes him zealous. He hates the evil that God hates. And at the same time, David realizes that because God knows everything about him, all of it, he can be vulnerable and honest with God about the hard stuff, such as the fact that, that he is hated because he follows God. His enemies seek to destroy him. And that's a real struggle. And so he's honest with God. But here's what, here's what really gets me, guys. Here's what, here's what really gets me with this psalm. He ends by proclaiming his own desire to follow God in his way, to see his faith tested, to remove any evil from his own heart, and to represent God's goodness in his own life by living differently. He opens up his heart before God, and he says this. He says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. I want you to pull out a a notebook. If you still have your notebook from launch, bring it every week. If you don't have one, we can give you one. If you have your own notebook, that's cool. Phone, notes app, that's chill. I just want you to pull something out. And as we think about this series and this, this passage and tonight's message, I just want you to ask the question, what does God think about you? What does God think about you? And as you write that thing down, or you make a mental note of it, I want you to keep it in your mind, keep it on your notepad, and as you go after smogger tonight, maybe share it, maybe share your answer to that question and ask God, or ask your friends, is this true? Jesus, thank you for tonight. This is why we read your word. 66 books, 40 authors, 1,500 years, three continents. All of it points to you. And you're a God that knows us so deeply that you think about us more than we could ever think about you, more than the grains of sand. That's good news. God, thank you that the most passionate thought you ever had about us was when you were on the cross and you saw our face. And God, those, those who believe, God, you saved them. You did that for us. Jesus, we love you. God, we pray that you would search us. Pray that you would know us. Know our hearts. Test us and know our concerns. Know the things that we care about. See if there's any evil in our hearts. See if there's any wrong motives. And God, lead us in a different way. Our way is not good enough, God. 
God, my way is not good enough. Lead me in the everlasting way. I pray that for these students tonight. In Jesus' name.